Hey, good morning. Uh, before I begin, I want to make an announcement. Back here? Maybe? Good? Okay. Um, tomorrow, the IJM is hosting a coffee house. Um, it's going to be at 7.30 in Mills First Lobby. There's a $2 admission, and the proceeds go to Bridge Refugee Services, which is a local refugee resettlement agency that is in a lot of difficulty right now because of lack of um, federal funding, um, really need our support to keep going. So I would encourage you to go. Um, performers include Sarah Lyons, Reed Schick, Nabil Ince, Will Bryan, and seven others. I don't know who those seven are, but probably don't want to miss them. <laughs> um, well, good morning. Thanks for the music to start us off today. Um, it was very joyful. I'm actually going to take us maybe in a less joyful direction. Surprise, surprise, it's Christiana. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been over two years since I've had to do this. Um, I've been thankful for the break. Uh, I did let myself forget the fun of preparing for one of these chapel talks. Um, but I am thankful for the opportunity to be here with you as we move into Holy Week and as we're able to spend some time reflecting on the final days of Jesus on earth as we move towards the remembrance of his death and resurrection for the life of the world. Uh, these are days of heaviness that we must feel and experience before the joy of Easter. In fact, I thought about just inviting Dorit Ziegler to come up to talk about lament after I read her article in the bagpipe. Um, but this week feels even heavier to me as I think about the worshipers who were killed during their own Palm Sunday services yesterday. Um, so this morning, uh, before I move into the main portion of my chapel talk, I really would like us to take a few moments um, to honor and lament the lives of our brothers and sisters in Tanta and Alexandria, Egypt. Um, 47 killed, many wounded, many more terrorized. The Coptic Church in Egypt has one of the longest histories in Christianity. They trace their history back to Mark, and early Coptic scriptures have been found from the second century. Um, they separated from uh, the kind of the larger church at Chalcedon, um, but they've existed in Egypt, first as a majority religion, then alongside Islam pretty peaceably for a while, but for the last millennia really under some pretty discriminatory practices. They live alongside their fellow Egyptian citizens, but they do experience a lack of equality. Um, and in February of this year, ISIS, or Daesh, um, specifically declared war on them. Um, wanting to see them expunged. Uh, they're not a church of power and privilege, the opposite, in fact. Discriminatory, discriminatory practices, they're targeted, um, but they live faithfully in their communities and they have not left. And as they were worshiping on one of the most important dates in the church calendar, Palm Sunday, where there would be many more worshipers in church, um, many were killed. One worshiper said, Every church in Egypt just prepares for this. Everyone knows that sometime you will get bombed, you will be killed. And these two bombings are the 500th and 501st sectarian incident tracked by an organization called Ashan um, since 2013. Um, Amir Mikhail, a Covenant alum, actually works for this organization um, and helps track uh, some of the things that have happened in, in Egypt. It's the 26th this year. Just 15 days ago, a bomb was discovered and dismantled in that same church in Tanta. I just want to say these are our family. 
We're tied to them by the blood of Jesus, who as a baby escaped to, G to Egypt, who came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, who gave himself up to the authorities and was crucified as a criminal, who tasted punishment and death for his people and who rose again with power. When our family feels pain, how do we respond? Not with uninformed solutions or political answers, but with lament and prayer. The Psalms of lament give voice to those who are suffering, who may feel abandoned. With them we cry, how long, O Lord? Turn not your face from your people, be not far off. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. Um, I'm gonna just read a Psalm, um, and I would ask that you just join me in prayer. Um, I was talking to somebody over the weekend before this happened find the psalms. Um, I think that the church that's under oppression and persecution is probably more able to pray these psalms of lament um, than we are, although they're there for us too. Um, but I'm just going to pray this psalm and ask you to join me in prayer. It's Psalm 102. Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. For my days vanish like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is suffering, withered like grass. I even forget to eat my food. Because of the sound of my groaning, my flesh sticks to my bones. I am like an eagle owl, like a little owl among the ruins. I stay awake. I am like a solitary bird on a roof. My enemies taunt me all day long. They ridicule and use my name as a curse. I eat ashes like bread and mingle my drinks with tears because of your indignation and wrath, for you have picked me up and thrown me aside. My days are like a lengthening shadow and I wither away like grass. But you, O oh Lord, are enthroned forever. Your fame endures to all generations. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come, for your servants take delight in its stones and favor its dust. Then the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory, for the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. This will be written for a later generation, and a people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out from heaven to earth to hear our prisoners groaning, to set free those condemned to die so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when peoples and kingdoms are assembled to serve the Lord. But he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue throughout all generations. Long ago, you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely, and their offspring will be established before you. Amen. Egypt was part of my chapel before Sunday. Um, 
as I've been reflecting on the church and Christians um, and our desire for control and comfort and how much we could learn if we were willing to listen to those who have not traditionally had that power and comfort. We, I think, are beginning to see an extrication of Christianity and power, um, maybe some of those links, um, and perhaps we're stumbling our way toward a more humble, more globally aware Christianity. I'm thinking of churches in countries where they have long been an oppressed minority, where working with their neighbors for the common good is the only way to survive, where faithfulness doesn't follow a strategic plan or a capital campaign, uh, where public service might not even be an option as a Christian. I'm thinking of churches in our own country who've existed and thrived for years in oppressive situations, who are used to living in the presence of death. I'm thinking of faithfulness at the margins, faithfulness where power and prestige is not an option, where there's no looking ahead to better days on this earth, um, faithfulness being led by the Spirit to know the times and the places to speak, to act, and to create. It strikes me that we often um, try to shape the systems of this world into rungs that the church and Christians can climb towards dominance rather than faithfulness to love God and to love our neighbor. Don't hear me say that we in the U.S. are dealing with anything like a doomsday scenario. I don't think that's true. I think we too often put our hope in politics, whether that's the party on the right or the party on the left or some other party that you think addresses your issues. Um, and we assume that when we lose or the other wins that we've lost our hope. Um, but that's not true. Our hope is in Jesus. Um, but white American evangelicals, and whether you like the term evangelical or prefer another, are, are not persecuted. We do not live under threat. We enjoy much privilege and power. We're quite comfortable, and we don't often fear for our safety. There's no need for guilt. That's not what this is about. Um, but I do think we need to question what that might be doing to us, um, how it might be skewing our view of what we're owed or deserved. Um, this is a simple example of how I think life should go smoothly in my way. It happened just last week. Traveling on Thursday to a conference with six wonderful Covenant students. Um, uh, travel is kind of my thing. I plan it pretty carefully, try to, you know, think of all the things that might happen. And they asked me early in the day kind of what my worst travel day had been. And I didn't have a great answer. Um, I've had pretty smooth travel. After the fact, I thought of a, well, a couple days that were a little rough. But let's just say by the end of the 13 hours of travel uh, on Thursday, I, I had my answer to the worst travel day. <laughs> uh, I had booked the flights, I had allowed plenty of time, but the day was out of my control completely. Um, the delays the day before because of the weather, the delays um, because of the weather in the north, the diversions. Um, we tried to land one place, ended up getting sent another place. We didn't have a lot of food. They did bring us hot dogs. Uh, it was just like kind of a crazy day. And we missed the lecture that we, kind of the big lecture we were hoping to go to that evening anyway. Uh, I'm a pretty flexible traveler. And so I wasn't like super flustered, but there was, it was just a rough day. Um, and then we didn't have food and that makes it even a rougher day for me. Um, it just didn't go according to my plans. Um, and so of course, most of the time I convince myself that I'm in control. It's subconscious a lot of the times. Um, it comes out in full force when things, things don't go my way. I think at times I 
sound a lot more like the Israel that's being judged by the prophets than that remnant of the, of the faithful. Um, but my question today is, can we better learn faithfulness from those who are used to maneuvering in a sort of second space, um, who are faithful when it is not comfortable, when it's costly to them, their families, their church? Um, could we grasp a deeper understanding of the words of Scripture? Any time we're in community, enlivened by the Holy Spirit, of course, we will deepen our knowledge of Christ and his word and his world. Um, so I'm not denying that that happens no matter where we are, but I do wonder how much more if we opened ourselves up, open ourselves up to those interactions beyond our small circle, how much more we could deepen our knowledge of Christ and his word and his world. Well, how do you learn I learned through friendships, relationships. That was a great ringtone. <laughs> I approve. I approve. Um, so I learned through friendships, through relationships, uh, through humbling myself, although that's hard for me to do at times, and by, and by allowing my own views to be critiqued and confronted by faithful friends. And of course this happens in good, close friendships. No two people think alike, and so we can always be a sanctifying influence on our brothers and sisters near us. And I'm thankful for dear friends here who pray with and for me, who push me in new directions of thinking, who challenge my preconceived notions about God and his work. Um, so, but, but we learn these things through experience. I love to read, I love to learn by taking in information, by listening to lectures. Um, in fact, a lecture I heard this past week and another um, by Karen Ellis always help like, coalesce some of my, my thoughts and experiences in really helpful ways. Books, lectures, and articles, they're really helpful to me. But none of it really gels until I see things working out in my own experience um, where I'm able to converse with someone about their own experience. So it probably makes sense that I think it's a good idea that you have a core requirement that's experiential in nature. Uh, we actually have to meet and talk to people who might see things differently and reflect on that and learn from that. That's not the whole topic of my chapel, but just got to throw that in there. Um, it's a pretty good way to learn. Um, on my flight home this weekend, also delayed by a few hours, but it wasn't a 13-hour day, uh, my flight attendant handed me a napkin and my drink and those Biscoff cookies. When you're on Delta, always get the cookies. Always get the cookies. Uh, the napkin said, no one changed the world by staying put. Now that's some good marketing, right? One, you're already on a plane going somewhere, so you feel validated and a little superior to everyone who's not flying, right? You're like, yes, I am going to change the world. Um, and then if there are delays or other troubling parts of the travel day, hey, it's okay, because you might be changing the world even so. At least you're not staying home. You're moving forward. But of course it creates some false dichotomies, right? Not everyone who travels is changing the world. Probably hardly anyone is, actually. And lots of people staying put are faithfully serving and stewarding their gifts. Um, just going and meeting different people doesn't make you more likely to change the world. Um, I like you all a lot. Um, I really do. And I hope you make an impact in whatever community you're involved with. But with Jesus, you are enough. Changing the world is not a requirement. But as Christians who believe in the value of this created world and the dignity of human beings, you do have a responsibility to know this world 
and to take opportunities to learn and grow from the people that God's put here. And again, I wonder how much we have to learn about the Christian life, about faithfulness and grace and community from those who have or are living in marginal communities. We want to be careful not to romanticize suffering or lives shaped by oppression. And we want to be careful that we are not using people to develop ourselves, a less horrifying but still insidious version of the movie Get Out, perhaps. Has anybody seen it? Please say somebody has seen it. If you haven't, go. Um, but can we enter with humility into mutually beneficial relationships and friendships? Can we give up some control and some comfort, some assumptions about the systems that are working well for us? Can we invite some complexity into our lives, refusing to settle for the easy answers to impossible questions of pain and suffering and terror and fear? How do we define success? What is faithfulness? How do we pursue humility? How do we pursue growth? Why do we desire control? Why do we think we have it when everything in scripture tells us the opposite? And if we don't have control, how do we take responsible action for the good of our world and our neighbors? And how might we answer those questions differently if we heard from those who had a vastly different experience of life? Um, yet people who share our faith in the triune God. Something happens when you begin to open yourself up to relationships with those who experience Christianity in a minority context. You begin to have some of your ideas turned on their head. These churches, you know, the church in Egypt, the church in Tunisia, the church in Turkey, they don't really meet our models of success. They're not following a formula, but they're reliant on the spirit of God. Um, I want to thank Dr. Stefan Pass, whose lecture I heard earlier this week, who reminded me of some of those things. Um, it's a great blessing. Their churches don't look like ours. They fit their own cultural context, and they seek to support the believers in that context at the stage of their, at any stage of their faith journey. I think of my time in Turkey, um, in the context of worship there, worship that's unlike my experience growing up in a small rural Baptist church in a huge downtown, white, mostly white Presbyterian church, or now in a small black Baptist church. It's, it's not like any of those, um, but it fits there, and it teaches me things. Um, that church is an example of a church that is a good neighbor in its community. They open their church to outside use. Um, they let artists and musicians come in. They befriend the imam around the corner. They care about the state of other religious minority groups that are feeling the weight of a growing, is growingly Islamic government. Um, I've learned to support with my prayers um, and other ways the struggle to maintain a building in a neighborhood that might not even want your presence. Um, I was in Greece a few weeks ago. Um, there's a small but well-established evangelical church there. They see the needs of the city and they're seeking to address them. They're showing grace with no expectation of a response or a conversion, a return on investment. They're meeting the needs of refugee women and children, young boys who are there on their own, uh, truly doing incredible work in a country that you would say they don't have the resources. It's a country under tremendous economic strain. And the church is not persecuted there, but it is quite small and not really widely accepted but they've been driven to pour out grace as they have been shown grace. 
and Egypt. I mentioned Egypt before, obviously. Um, but each time Egypt's in the news, I think of my friends there. Nine years ago, I spent a summer in Belgium, and part of that summer was connecting with a larger mission team, and they were members from Egypt, and I got to know them. And so anytime something happens in Egypt, which it has pretty regularly, I think of Heidi and Sarah and Joseph. Uh, I check in with them. Um, I know they feel the pressure of life daily there as believers, but they're also continuing to press on in faithful daily service. They weep and they mourn what is happening, and I want to weep and mourn with them. Um, but they don't stop living and they don't stop worshiping. Um, you may say, thanks, Christiana. It's great you get to travel to all these places. Nice job you have. You have all these experiences, but I don't have your job. Um, I'm the person staying put that your little airport napkin was talking about. Um, I don't just hop on planes 12 times in a month for fun. I don't do that for fun either. <laughs> and thankfully, I don't do that every month. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I, I want to say you can grow in learning more. We have access to so much information, it's hard to process it sometimes. Um, you can filter that by finding a good resource that informs you about the persecuted church. You can read the news and stop to pray before you share the article on Facebook or elsewhere. Um, you can pray the Psalms where you will find voice to the complaints of God's suffering people. And you actually may find that as people have come to the U.S. as refugees, you could easily build friendships and learn and serve each other. I don't mean only befriend Christian refugees, um, but you may find that there are quite a number of Christians among those refugees who have come from difficult circumstances and have a faith that really could encourage your own. Certainly, you can take time to learn from the rich history of faithfulness in the African-American church in the U.S., the church that survived, persevered, has dealt with death and injustice in a culture that considered its members less than human and second-class citizens. It's a church of theologians, of public servants, of academics, of poets, of musicians and missionaries and justice workers who for centuries have shaped our country and our culture in so many unacknowledged ways. You don't have to go too far for those lessons and friendships. You can stay put in Chattanooga but you might need to prepare to have your pride challenged and your bubble burst. <clears throat> I said before, um, with Jesus, you're enough. And I wanna say you don't need to have these kinds of friendships and relationships to be welcomed by Jesus into heaven. Our salvation is all of grace. It's offered freely by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, but we do have opportunities that Christians in the past could not dream of in terms of access and connections I think avoiding those friendships and relationships can leave you with a less full picture of what God is doing in his world and how he meets his suffering people and sustains them with his spirit and his word. And in your own suffering, which I know some of you are experiencing, you may find an encouragement to you to know people around the world who are feeling that and have felt the Lord meet them. As we head into Easter, we're reminded that Jesus the King has come. And he will come again. The suffering servant has suffered for his people, and he weeps with them as they weep. He comforts the weary, and he conquered death by his own death and resurrection. We know he is victorious, but in this world, as we await his coming, I pray that he will humble us and teach us from those who don't always feel that victory and who cry, how long, 
O Lord. As a fourth century Egyptian brother, Athanasius of Alexandria put it, you know how it is when some great king enters a large city and dwells in one of its houses? Because of his dwelling in that single house, the whole city is honored, and enemies and robbers cease to molest it. Even so it is with the king of all. He has come into our country and dwelt in one body amidst the many, and in consequence, the designs of the enemy against mankind have been foiled, and the corruption of death, which formerly held them in its power, has simply ceased to be. For the human race would have perished utterly had not the Lord and Savior of all, the Son of God, come among us to put an end to death. He has conquered, but he leaves us in this world. May we remind each other that he is with us and for us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your comfort even this morning. Um, thank you for putting words in your scripture that help us, that give, us, give voice to the pain um, that we feel, that others feel, that our brothers and sisters around the world feel. Um, Father, I do lift up the churches in Egypt who are weeping today, um, would we weep with them? Would you remind us that you weep with, with us and you weep with them? Father, give us grace for the week ahead. Give us times to reflect, times of quiet to lament, Father, in the midst of the busyness, um, Father, and bring us great joy as we celebrate your resurrection this Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.